This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Today, we are hearing about another hit-and-run collision that left a woman with life-threatening injuries. We often talk about pedestrian safety and the terrible toll of traffic fatalities, but what happens when someone is injured? Do they get all the help and the rehab they need to recover? Does it depend on the type of policy they hold? We're always hearing about cuts in coverage that leave it up to consumers whether they're willing to pay more to top up those benefits. And what happens when victims sue? Do they get satisfaction then, and how long does it take? We want to hear from you about your experiences, and we can also take your questions. I'm here with Pat Brown, who is a personal injury lawyer with McLeish Orlando, and we are also talking to Pete Karagiorgis from the Insurance Bureau of Canada. Gentlemen, thanks for being with us. Good afternoon. Hi, Libby. Hi, Pat. So uh, what is the short answer? If someone is injured, uh, a pedestrian, uh, what is the likelihood that they're going to get their needs taken care of? Uh, In all likelihood, they will not get their needs taken care of. Uh, When a pedestrian gets hit by a car, that's two tons of steel coming at them. They have no protection, and the injuries are usually very significant, if not catastrophic in some cases. Okay, so what happens then? So uh, what's happened is if you are hit, you have these benefits available to you, regardless of fault. They were to help you get better, uh, to have services to help you uh, move on in life, uh, and as well as compensate you for a portion of your loss of income. Those benefits today um, are still very, very limited. Uh, For the majority of cases, which are called minor injuries, there's only 3500 in medical and rehabilitation. Just to give you an idea, before 2010, that was worth 100000 So now that's 3500 If you look at the more catastrophic injuries, and that's what happens in a lot of pedestrians, where spinal cord, severe brain injury, amputations, um, those type of cases, you have a million dollars in medical rehabilitation and attendant care to help you, and, and those people need every one of those dollars. Before, it used to be $2 million, and they slash that back by half. Uh, and that doesn't go a very long way when you're dealing with that nature of those types of injuries. Let's deal with the so-called minor injuries. You know, sometimes even there's a case of, of whip, whiplash, and, and suddenly you need all kinds of uh, physio or chiropractic. That adds up. So, And, and I, I, if I'm not mistaken, regardless of fault, if... If you're injured uh, and you have, say, a workplace plan that covers a certain amount of that, then you have to use that up first. Am I right? You have to use up the workplace or any other plan you have available first, and then your auto insurance kicks in. There's still the right to sue, uh, and and that's still available to people in Ontario and pedestrians who are struck down by vehicles or drivers of vehicles, to say. But you still have the ability to sue for damages. 
Okay. Uh, Pete, would you like to weigh in on this? Yeah, well, you know, first of all, it's unfortunate that, you know, we see these situations. I think, you know, the key issue is, as, uh, as, a, as a city, as a society, we're struggling with, uh, you know, road uh, injuries. And uh, the process, uh, unfortunately, can be complicated for individuals. If you are, as a pedestrian, struck by a vehicle and you don't have your own vehicle or you don't, you know, a spouse, a family member, uh, doesn't have a policy that you rely upon, um, it, it gets a little complicated. And so if you do have your own insurance policy or one that you can claim benefits from, uh, you go there, obviously, after if you are fortunate enough to have empl- uh, benefits through your employer. If you don't have employer benefits or, or a direct policy that you go to, then, uh, and if you can identify, and unfortunately in some of these cases they're hit and runs, um, you claim through uh, the policy of the automobile that hit you. If a vehicle can't be identified, uh, then there's a there's a government system called the Motor Vehicle Accident Claims Fund, and, and so you know the unfortunate thing is that the, the system can be challenging for people to navigate through. Uh, you know, I, I uh, am one of those people who was a victim of a, uh, of a of a crash. I was a pedestrian struck by a car um, back when I was in university, and the system that we have now. Uh, at least is designed a little better than it was back then um, because you can claim those benefits more quickly rather than having to go to court to fight for even your basic uh, rehab or or, uh, physiotherapy benefits. Pete, why do we see the industry continually cutting back on the benefits? Why, you know, I, we've gone through governments who've been promising uh, drops in auto insurance, and instead of getting uh, my auto insurance lowered, I get calls from my broker saying, by the way, the benefits you have in this policy have been cut, and my advice to you is to pay more to top it up. You got to look at the system that we have in Ontario. Uh, it is a, a system that is designed by government and delivered by the private insurance companies. And so, insurance companies um, follow the government's uh, guidelines in terms of uh, coverages, uh, limits. Yeah, ob- obviously, there's optional benefits available for people, uh, but we're in a situation where the, the system is such that we are delivering a product that. When you're looking at the cost, like any other product, that's what's going to dictate the price that we're going to be paying. And so, uh, unfortunately, we have had governments who have made it a political issue to try and, uh, you know, do something about the rates, but they haven't focused on the real core issue, which are some of the costs. And so, as an industry, we're also saying to government, let's fix the problem, let's fix the product, let's focus on people getting the care they need. Um, there was a report, Fair Benefits Fairly Delivered, that was given to the prior government that's been supported by uh, the political parties uh, in Ontario. Um, let's, let's get that you know, off the bookshelf, off the shelf, and, and, and into reality and happening so that we can improve the system uh, for the benefit of, of those who need to access their, uh, their benefits on their insurance policy and as well for everyone else who's paying for that. Okay, let's take a call from David in Toronto. Hi, David. Hi, how are you? Fine, how are you? Uh, good. I'd like to tell you of an experience that I had. Uh, gladly, I did not kill this person or run them over. It was early morning, dark out, raining, had my lights on. Did not. I just saw a flicker of a movement, 
jam my brakes on. Um, the person was uh, dark hoodie, dark pants, dark face color, did no reflective gear. Had I drove over this person at 25, 30 kilometers an hour and killed them, what would happen to me as a driver? What would I be going through with police, insurance companies? And did you, were they hurt? Did you hit them? No, I stopped. I was about a foot and a half away, and the look on their face, they were really shocked, and I was, I was just glad that I saw a movement. That's all it was, was a movement, and I put my brakes on because it caught me off guard as well, yeah, unfortunately for a lot of us driving, that's all you're ever going to see. And people are, uh, you know, crossing against the lights in the dark wearing black. But go ahead, uh, Pat. Yeah, I mean, in that situation, and which is happening too frequently, we have a crisis in Toronto, at least, with pedestrians getting hit, um, killed uh, by vehicles, people driving vehicles. Even when somebody, just so you know, runs a red light. Uh, is convicted of running a red light and striking someone down and killing them, they're walking away with a very small fine. Eduardo LeBlanc was killed uh, at a crosswalk where someone ran a red light, and he was killed, and that resulted in a $700 fine. So in relation to the consequences to a driver of a vehicle that hits a pedestrian, at least under our Highway Traffic Act, uh, it usually results in a very small fine. That's why yesterday they tabled what's called a vulnerable road user law to address that uh, issue and to make sure that we have more meaningful penalties when people who are bad or distracted drivers, and I'm talking about the ones who are performing something illegal, such as speeding, distracted, improper right turns. Right yeah, now, the way my, the system my, works, my, uh, there's very, my, very little deterrence at all to those people. Yeah, my situation, I was in a left-hand turn lane with an advanced green light. Had looked, saw that everything was clear, and it just the movement came out of nowhere. So I don't know where this person originated from, and uh, it really scared me. I thought to myself, what, what would happen to me? Like, even I'm doing everything right, I didn't see this person, no reflective gear. What, what do you do? How do you protect yourself as a driver? Well, I mean, to protect yourself as a driver, um, listen, the consequences to you are very li- limited in our present system. But to protect yourself as a driver is obviously, as, as it sounds like you were doing, is obey the rules of the road uh, and keep your speed under the speed limit. And if it is a dense or foggy or your vision's impaired in any way, uh, slow it down. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's... It's just the reality of it, and and yes, it is, uh, as a driver, it's really frustrating when people cross in the middle of the road wearing dark clothes at twilight or at dark, and, you know, sometimes they're crossing, they don't even turn around to look at you. (laughs) But but what are you going to do? Libby, if if I could also add, you know, it's it's a problem, it's a concern, and and regardless of, of whether you're in a car as a driver or as a pedestrian, uh, the distractions are all around us, and, and that's the real unfortunate thing. And, and as a society, I think we're really struggling with that. Everyone seems to be in a rush, and everyone's got their heads down or their earbuds in and, and isn't really really paying attention to the conditions around them. Um, I had spoken to someone who had called our offices and had some questions because they had a situation where uh, someone, uh, again, uh, walked into their vehicle because they were distracted looking down at their cell phone. You know, it, it happens. It happens when drivers are distracted because they're breaking the law, uh, looking at or using their, their handheld device. And so 
we really need to jointly, and, and everyone, and, and I know with the, the city of Toronto, the police, uh, municipal government, um, they're trying to highlight the issue and the awareness of, of everyone as road users that we need to focus on the task at hand. If you're driving, focus on the road. If you're a pedestrian, focus on following the rules of the road and being aware of the surroundings. Uh, you know, it, it's an epidemic, and we're seeing it on a daily basis. Okay, let's hear from Brian in East York. Hi, Brian. Are you there, Brian? Hello? Okay. Hi, how are you? Fine, how are you? You're on the air. <laughs> yes, okay. I, I heard a, a gentleman talking about uh, at night, and I totally agree with him. People walking, dressed in black clothes, uh, uh, people on bicycles uh, with no lights and stuff. I just wonder, is there some reason or why can we not get the police or somebody to get some uh, reflective armbands? And if you must wear black or a dark-colored outfit in the winter or at night, you could just take this armband out of each pocket, put one in the right arm and one in the left arm. It certainly would help matters a, a heck of a lot. Yeah, I don't think you can mandate that, though. Oh, no, but I mean... <laughs> Listen, if I'm wearing black, it would make sense to me. You know, I'm the guy going to get run over. I know I work for a large uh, soft drink company, and and in our our jackets in the winter, and and even the city guys, they have a like a it's a white stripe right around the black. You can you can see me coming. It looks like a white stripe walking, but you can see me coming. You know what I mean? And, and so an armband for everybody who must wear dark clothing, I'd suggest, I mean, I personally would be, be wearing them myself. You know what I mean? Okay. I think it's a good idea anyway. Okay, thanks for that. Libby, on that point, and, and I hear the gentleman's comments, and <laughs> some people consider that victim-blaming. I do. Yeah. Um, I've done this for 25 years. Uh, I've seen all kinds of crashes and pedestrians get hit. I did the coroner's review where we did all the stakeholders came and did a review of what was causing pedestrians to be killed. And the majority, if not the very big problem, was driving conduct. The majority of people, firstly, speed. Most people driving right now listening to this program, I can guarantee you, are over the speed limit. We know speed kills. That is one of the number, one of the primary factors what kills a pedestrian. Uh, as well, we know distracted driving with cell phones is increasing at an alarming rate with people inside cars looking at phones with display screens. The one thing I say about a pedestrian is if a pedestrian makes a mistake, for instance, they don't look both ways. They pay with their lives at times. That's a very meaningful deterrent. However, if a car driver is driving and they're looking at their phone or they're speeding and they happen to hit that pedestrian, what does that mean to them? A dent in their car, a fine, and that's it. And that's the problem. When you're looking at deterring behavior, take a look at... What about at, insurance rates going up? And, and their insurance rates will go up. But I'm, I'm saying that you have to put it into context of the behavior of the individual. One's in a car that weighs two tons that can kill. One is going to hurt themselves. Okay, uh, we have to take a break. When we come back, uh, I also want to get into this issue of uh, if you if you have to sue, the deductible is ginormous. Yeah. Yep, so we're going to be talking about that when we come back. We're going to have more on this issue of what happens 
uh, whether you hit someone in your car or you are hit, and uh, what about all the rehab you need? What about all the help you need? Is that going to be covered, or uh, is it going to be a problem? The numbers to call, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740, and we'll be right back. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Zneimer on Zoomer Radio. We're back and we are talking about vulnerable road users and what's happening, what happens if they get hit, and a new law governing vulnerable road users has just been tabled. So let's start with that. Pat, what is in the new law? New law says if you drive and you break the law, meaning you're convicted of a driving offense, illegal turn, run a red light, and you hit somebody and you seriously injure or kill them, in addition to these small fines they're handing out, it's going to be a mandatory, you got to take a driving course before you get back on the road. So you can prove that you can actually drive responsibly. Uh, your license is going to be suspended until you do that. Uh, you're going to do some community service in, in the area of road safety. And then the other really important part of this law, and believe it or not, if you hit and kill someone and you're convicted in court under the Highway Traffic Act, the family will prepare a victim's impact statement to tell about the person that they lost and their loved one. And that's read into court. Uh, but the person who, uh, the driver, doesn't have to appear in court to listen to it. So they can send court agents and they listen to the family. And obviously that loses any impact uh, that, that was meant to do with victim impact statements. So the law requires them to be present when that victim impact statement is read. And that's a really meaningful thing to many of these people who have lost a loved one. And do you think that this will act as a deterrent? Uh, I think the present system uh, certainly does not. There's there's nothing to deter uh, from reckless and distracted driving at the present stage, so I'm hoping it does. Obviously, there's so many other things that ought to be done in relation to infrastructure and, and making things safer for pedestrians and cyclists and drivers. Um, but um, in relation to that issue, it's going to help. It's going to help. Pete, do you have a view? You know, I think anything that is going to get people to pay more attention uh, behind the wheel of the car uh, is a good thing. Uh, you know, obviously, everyone wants, uh, you know, safety in our roads. Uh, we want to be able to make sure that uh, not just us, our families, uh, you know, have the ability, again, if, as a road user, uh, you know, those around us are, are following the rules of the road. And so I think, you know, highlighting it, educating it, and enforcing it are, are the key points there. Okay, let's take a call from Stephen Barry. Hi, Steve. Hi, how are you? Fine, how are you? Very well, thanks. Go ahead. I, uh, I've had a, uh, a couple of close calls, and uh, I, I bought myself a dashboard camera, and then there's no question. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I hit a pedestrian about 35 years ago, which wasn't my fault. The witnesses uh, backed me up on that, and... Uh, the little guy was all right, but he ran out between two parked cars. And uh, I was—I had my new Impala totaled about 15 years ago, and uh, that was obviously the other guy's fault. He was going too fast on a curve in the winter. And uh, then I had a real close call about three years ago, so I bought a dashboard cam, and it's helped me a couple of times since. 
Yeah, a lot of cars are now coming with uh, cameras as standard yeah. equipment. Yeah, well, mine isn't brand new, but it uh, it didn't come with it. Uh, it's a Mercedes, and uh, I bought the dashboard cam, and it's with me all the time now. Okay, thanks for that, Steve. Uh, you're welcome. Technology is really coming along, Libby, especially when we're trying to figure out, and people would agree that in trying to figure out what caused the crash and who's at fault, we are seeing more cameras in cars. We're seeing, obviously, the cycling community are putting cameras on their heads because they also want to have something to show what happened. Um, but the other uh, significant thing is cars themselves are um, keeping all the data as to how the car speed was at the time of impact and at different times. So that data is coming out. And, 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 and when we see crashes, we're finding from that data uh, that the vast majority of vehicles involved in these crashes are actually well exceeding the speed limit. Okay. Uh, we were going to talk about uh, th- what happens when people sue and the deductible. I think most people would be very surprised to hear that if you get an award in court, the deductible is $37,000 now. That's right, Libby. Like if, if you're hit, let's say you're hit by a drunk driver and, and, and you're seriously injured and you sue the drunk driver because it's 100% their fault. Uh, let's assume that. Um, at the end of the day, there's a $38,000 deductible that's taken away from your pain and suffering award that goes back to the insurance company. To a lot of people, that, that doesn't make any sense. And uh, why is that? Where does that come from? That comes from from really the insurance industry, I think, um, wanted uh, uh, to have that and have a deductible. Uh, I think the rationale behind it is to reduce the auto insurance premiums people pay. So by reducing those types of claims where someone's hurt by, let's say, a distracted or drunk driver, uh, the 38000 goes back to the company, and therefore it's, a, it's a, what they consider a premium control. Uh, I'm going to let Pete jump in here. Pete? Yeah, I'm going to have to take issue with that. And and, and Patrick knows as well that, you know, the courts uh, are busy places, and and that was really primarily put into place to try and deter uh, cases that didn't have a lot of merit, that were taking up time, uh, that were small and likely shouldn't have even made it through the court system. Because, uh, you know, without a doubt, we have overworked and overloaded court systems. And so, you know, the reason that those deductibles were put in place to make sure that the cases that were going to court were uh, of significant and large enough merit that uh, they were uh, consequential in the sense that they weren't frivolous and, and small. So that was the reason, you know, and, and, and to be dishonest about the fact that this is what insurance companies uh, wanted and, 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 you know, insurance companies are saving money. You know, that, that's not uh, that's not truth and that's not doing any justice. What is to- the average size of a settlement? Given that there's a deductible of thirty-seven, thirty-eight thousand dollars. Well, each each case is different. Each right. case is handled on its own merit. So there's, you know, I'm going to defer to to Patrick because this is what uh, what he spends his days doing in terms of uh, the injury. What? Uh, so what is what is is there an average settlement? There's no average. It really depends on the nature of the injury. I think Pete's point, and, and Pete, my my point is this. Um, you're correct. You don't want people necessarily suing for for sore necks and a lot of soft tissue injuries and, and, and clogging up the courts with those types of claims. And I think at one time there was an intent to use the deductible for that. But you'd have to admit that they came out then with another test that you get nothing unless you prove that you have a permanent serious impairment. 
If you don't meet that test, you get nothing. That's the verbal threshold. So to have that threshold to stop those small claims, which it does, and then to throw on top of a deductible of 38000 just doesn't make sense. It, it just it sounds like, you know, you, you're correct. You want to control the, the, the very minor injuries in the system, which, which might be a good thing. But at the same time, you don't need that deductible. Well, and I think I think the key point here, and 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 you know, Patrick and and the injury lawyers uh, may disagree, or, or they may agree. I don't know. I can't speak for them. Is the fact that we need to change the focus rather than on a dollar amount? We all see the advertisements out there from the legal the injury firm saying, if you've been hurt, you know, here's here's your opportunity. Uh, but I think the key focus needs to be rather than looking at it from that perspective, looking at it from the perspective of what. Do I need to get better? What you know, services, treatments do I need? Let's focus on the care, not the cash. Let's get people better. Let's get people back to their, back to shape, back to work, back to school. Uh, you know, in my situation, when I was involved, uh, when I was hit by a car on the sidewalk, no less, too. You know, I, I felt like I was struggling, um, and, and just to get uh, back to the, the care that I needed. This is, you know, unfortunately, before the current system. This is when uh, it was the Wild West out there, and the only way you could even get your uh, uh, your benefits was by, by suing. And, and so, really, the only one that was benefiting there were the lawyers. Uh, you know, I, as an injured person, uh, I was still looking to get the care that I needed. And so I think that's where we've got to be focused on is helping people who are injured get better. Yeah, well, if, if you can't afford... Uh, the care that you need, you're not going to get it. Let's uh, hear from Mike in Mississauga. Hi, Mike. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Yeah, my call is very similar to what your your guest was just saying. I think we need to we need to have those laws focus on making it easier for true act, accident victims to to get their to get the money quickly so that they can get their rehabilitation. So let's take for example someone that just a pedestrian that that gets hit and, and their leg is badly broken in two places. They're in distress. They can't really look after themselves. If they don't have family members to look after them, they're basically, you know, lying in the hospital for for a few weeks and and we need to make insurance companies more responsible. Um, hold them more responsible and, and that they can't delay or that they can't just say, well, How long know. does it take to get paid usually, Pat? Well, it depends. Lawsuits go on for for a very long time. They're they're highly defended. Uh, the insurance companies hire you know lawyers that defend these claims, and they they're, to get compensation for some of these families goes on for years and years. And if well, it's a straightforward then, insurance claim, and in relation to benefits, well, yeah, some of those benefits flow very quickly. But as as this caller's indicated, um, they run out very quickly too. So you're trying to get better, you're trying to get back to work, you're trying to keep your rehab, and then next thing you know, the tap is shut off, and and you don't have that care anymore, and you, and you regress. So I agree. I think everybody's intention is to get people better as quick as possible and get them back into society and functioning. And, but part of the problem is these benefits have been dramatically reduced over the last decade. Well, we still have the ability as, as individuals. You know, we, we've got a system that if you need immediate uh, first aid, immediate care, uh, that's provided. Uh, and again, uh, serious injuries, if you need those uh, physiotherapy services, chiropractic services, um, those those are provided. I think the, the challenge is, is, is really on... Um, and, and where the disputes are, are those people who say they're or, or claim to be permanently and, and, and permanently disabled and, and try and um, justify their claim. That's where the disputes are. You know, I was speaking to an individual a few years back who unfortunately was the victim of, uh, of a drunk driver and, uh, and, and 
is is, is a paraplegic, and uh, his his wife and his son uh, suffered through that. Uh, you know, with their dad uh, having to go through that. Uh, you know, and looking for care. From the perspective that the insurance company, uh, they stood up and said, "Here, you know, you're obviously catastrophically injured. There's no doubt about. It. There's no dispute about it." And so he was able to get, you know, the money to help fund that treatment or his his trying to assist him as, as best as you can, because obviously it's tremendously, uh, you know, uh, change life changing experience if if you become uh, paraplegic or quadriplegic uh, as a result of a crash. Sure, Pete. No and Pete, on, about that. Pete, on that point, and I think it's a good point. Is yes, yeah, somebody who's hit by a drunk driver with a quadriplegia is a horrible injury. That's a lifelong disability with a lot of needs. What happened in 2016, though, is that person had two million in benefits for their medical and having an attendant to help them. That was slashed to one million. That was a $1 million deduction in 2016 for that quadriplegic who in all likelihood will require at least $10 million, maybe $15 million, to live with some dignity and respect. So that's part of the issue too, uh, even with these severe injuries. Fair enough, uh, you can reduce benefits on minor injuries, sprains and sprains, but why did the, injury, why did the industry promote on these severe injuries like quadriplegia, to have two million reduced down to a million. Okay, let's uh, try to get in one more call here. We've got Austin in Richmond Hill. Hello, Austin. Hi, how are you? Fine, how are you? Oh, couldn't be better, thank you. Go ahead. Okay, great. So what I was going to say about um, our new law, whether it acts as a true deterrent or not, um, I have to say no. So for me, I'm a law student. Uh, and kind of what, what we observe is that um, the law doesn't act as a great deterrent, but rather what is is social behavior. So, for example, if people don't agree with the law, then they may not follow it. So when people are driving and they're texting, things like that, they say, oh, you know, I have a busy day, busy schedule, there's lots of traffic, I have time to text and do all these things. So because they don't actually agree with the law, I think people are still going to go ahead and, and continue to, you know, to text and do that as long as they feel they can get away with it. Um, so I think a bigger deterrent would actually be uh, in terms of social behavior, where people stop, you know, people start to say, "Hey, you know, this is a big deal. You really have to stop doing this," and kind of starting to judge more and speak up more and making it um, a bigger issue. Uh, so that's that's one thing. I think the new law is good for restorative justice uh, and kind of kind of giving back to helping the the families of the injured party. Uh, but Hopefully. I don't think that's a true deterrent. Okay, uh, thank you for that, Austin. Uh, and uh, we just have to wrap things up now. We have less than a minute. So starting with Pat, what would you like to leave us with in about 30 seconds? Yeah, I think uh, just back to Austin. I, 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 this new law will send a, a good re- deterrence. Right now, the law doesn't deter. Uh, small fines don't. Um, but I think if you took a look at the history of drunk driving, um, in the 1970s, there wasn't even laws against drunk, drunk driving, but they brought in new laws. They made it uh, a bigger deterrence, and we've seen to curb it at least to a certain extent and, and bring it down. So anyways, the new law will help definitely. I think everybody should very much ask their MPPs to support that law, which is a private member's bill that's now in front of the government. Okay, and Pete Georgis, 30 seconds. What would you like to leave us with? 
Well, uh, you know, again, it's it's not just the law, it's behavior and it's enforcement, unfortunately. And, and, we, and we have to change our mindset as drivers behind the wheel. Um, but also, uh, just to leave uh, on a final note with regards to insurance, it, it's important for people to understand what's in their policy and, uh, you know, visit the Financial Services Commission of Ontario's website where it outlines that if you do purchase optional attended care and optional medical rehabilitation benefits, you can have up to $3 million worth of benefits to help you uh, if you're catastrophically injured. So, you know, the, the facts are there, the information is there. I encourage everyone to understand uh, what's available to them in their policies and what optional benefits are also available. Okay, thank you so much, Pete Karagiorgis and Pat Brown. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.